Hey, Sound Opinions listeners, if you support us on Patreon, you get to listen to our podcast ad-free on Patreon. One, two, tres, cuatro. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and this week we're paying tribute to our late friend and colleague, audio engineer Mary Gaffney. I'm Jim DeRogatis. And I'm Greg Cott. We'll share some snippets from sessions she engineered for us, ranging from Jenny Lewis to Bob Mould. But first, our thoughts. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.com. Edu slash podcast. Greg, Mary's one of the most fascinating people I've had the pleasure to meet in radio, and I know you feel the same way. Born in Milwaukee, right? went to high school in Maryland, and later attended the uh, Peabody Institute, it was at the time, in Baltimore, uh, studying music and voice. Mary loved music. And she became a recording engineer, first working at WFMT, the classical station in Chicago. And uh, Tori Malatia, our mentor and friend, uh, brought her to BEZ. She was an institution at BEZ, and the recording studio there on Navy Pier was her domain. (laughs) Do not put your coffee on the mixing desk or anywhere near it. Mary helmed many sessions for us when we recorded live on Navy Pier, uh, and she just rolled with every punch, whether it was a stone-cold punk band like Off coming in, or, uh, you know, great singer-songwriter like Jenny Lewis. Mary, I think, preferred the singer-songwriters, but any challenge we ever threw at her, recording Mission of Burma, (laughs) Uh, getting guff from other colleagues on the pier about the Noise. Mary was like, well, put up with it. Uh, we're doing this session. And she would save, if you remember this, Greg, she would save the water cups mm-hmm. and mark them with a piece of masking right, tape right. Of, uh, of artists that uh, that she admired. I mean, she had one from Yoko Ono. Right, right. <laughs> Um, You know, Mary could have made music herself. I mean, she once sang the national anthem at a Cubs game with Harry Carey um, and and sang with Steve Goodman. You know that story. Yeah, well, you know, she was uh, one of those people who would always jump in, whatever it took. 
I was always impressed with how cool Mary was, no matter what we threw at her. And we threw some, you know, yeah. some bands that, <laughs> some you know, challenges. unconventional, you know, projects, you know, bands setting up quickly, bands doing, playing different instruments. Arcade fire with like a dozen instruments. And, yeah. and you know, whatever the task was at hand, Mary could handle it. The curiosity was always the thing that struck yeah. me. It wasn't like, oh, why are we doing this? It doesn't fit into my model of what a band should be. To, yeah, this is interesting. This is a woman who, who uh, with her, one of her first paychecks, bought a tape recorder so she could tape animal sounds and yeah. bird calls and in, in, you know, in go into caves exploring. She was doing field recordings, you know, from an early age and, you know, was mentored by uh, recording engineers in Chicago, got into it sort of uh, by accident. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just fascinated by this. Uh, people who were willing to teach her, she became a pioneer in the, in the field of the recording engineers in the United States. 5% are women. Right. That's, that's today. That, that's an insulting statistic. I'm always shocked by it. So few women sound engineers in the clubs, much less the recording studios. Well, I had an intern, Lindsay Havens, who is now a senior editor at Billboard. How are mm-hmm. you, Lindsay? We're proud hey, of you. Hey, Lindsay, that was a great and, piece. Uh, she did a great piece for me and the Chicago Tribune in 2015 on Mary. She said, let's do, a, let's do a piece on Mary Gaffney. She's, she's terrific. And, and, and she did this broader piece about how uh, women generally don't have a role in recording studios, but uh, she was one of the ones who did. And, and she said, you know, I, it, it surprised me to find out um, that that there were so few of us, yeah. but it didn't stop me, you know. And and the and the other thing, the other highlight uh, quote for me was, um, "Sounds just excited my mind." She was talking mm. about these field recordings she was doing. My mind just keeps trying to identify and hear and scrutinize what's being in front of it. So her jumping in to do background background harmonies on a Steve Goodman record was just par for the course. It yeah, was just all another about day at the office and getting <laughs> and, and 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 just being like I you know what I did something really cool today yeah. you know and that every day was like that for her. I did get the impression, Greg, that uh, uh, the town of Newbold in in northern Wisconsin, which is where she passed at the age of seventy two on September four, you know, being out in the woods that was her true joy, <laughs> and we have some audio that highlights. Highlights that. Anybody want to move for me? Come on, move. Mm. I think the first time I recorded some nature sounds might have been when I was in Kansas recording my grandmother, and, and on the way to the hotel there was a pen full of cows, and I stopped by the side of the road and recorded them. And when I got to the hotel, everyone was worried that I was late, and I told them I had to stop and record cows. And, Cows? They got a big kick out of that. Since they were farmers, I can't imagine any reason why someone would want to do that. I guess I would consider myself somewhat of a sound catcher. Like you hear stories of storm catchers that go out and chase hurricanes and things like that. What I do is the same, but in sound. I don't know what it is I like about geese, Certainly they're vocal (laughs) critters. It was up in Wisconsin, and I was doing a lot of recording jobs up in Wisconsin, so on my off time I would go up to the marsh to see them come in and then eventually just started to want to collect them. Initially I went out at sunrise to get away from sound of man, the airplane and cars and things because the road goes right through the marsh. In first collecting in the morning, you hear a murmur 
of geese in the background. But you also hear the grass in the wind and lots of other birds. And I don't know, I was really lucky the one day when, when I went out and got a cow and a dog and all these other little birds and geese coming up with the sun. And, and you can tell as the day goes on, different birds live and, and start their songs. first thing you'll notice is all these pops, you know, which to me I'm going, oh God, they're shooting these geese. Later in the day when I was in town, I asked like the pharmacist, what are all those gunshots? And he, he swore to me that there's no hunting, certainly not in the marsh, and that he felt that those were cannons that farmers have um, set off periodically to keep the geese from landing in their fields and eating the grain. The one sound that I go back every year to try to catch is the sound of the wind in the wings. And to me, I, I found that really amazing that you could hear it. It's actually not a pretty sound. It's like a little squeaky sound. It just... During the prime viewing, which is like about an hour before sunset, the car is just lying along the road traffic is just stop watching the geese come in. They come in from all over. You'll see them gently start coming in and then eventually there's bigger and bigger flocks. And as they're flying in there's a there's a flutter they do from side to side. It's called maple leafing, which is real pretty. And they land they land differently than ducks. Ducks slam into the water and <laughs> geese kinda gently drop in. It certainly gets very noisy, and, and the numbers of the geese in prime time in about mid-October just gets overwhelming. Thousands and thousands of them. I listen to this in the morning. I try to subject house guests to it. <laughs> but uh, in the morning, I find being able to visit with nature a very good way to start the day. It's become a tradition. I just go to see the hills and the trees changing colors and try to get to the marsh by late afternoon and get a better, clearer recording. But um, I'm still looking for the wind in the wings. <laughs> Man, it is great to hear Mary talk again and talk about her passion for nature and recording it. Uh, that was a chat with Joanna Zorn from 1995, our friend and colleague uh, at BEZ for many years. When we come back, we'll share some excerpts from sessions Mary engineered for us on Sound Opinions. After all the jets. Sound Opinions is supported by Goose Island. 
Since 1988, Goose Island has been brewing award-winning beers in Chicago that are inspired by this city. Take 312 Lemonade Shandy, Tropical Beer Hug Double IPA, and a rotating series of hazy IPAs only available in Chicago. Uh, you know, every time we go down to Goose Island, there's another one that they're pushing on us. That's right. You and know, they're all good. Absolutely. And uh, what supporters of, of musical culture, you know, in, in the city of Chicago and elsewhere, uh, if you go to a show in Chicago and you see that Goose Island uh, sign, you know, you know you're in good hands. Uh, they're music fans as well as great uh, beer makers at Goose Island, so we're really proud to be associated with them. The Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago's Beer. Sound Opinions is sponsored by Factor. Factor's ready-to-eat meal delivery takes the stress out of meal planning and sets you up for success. Skip the grocery store, prep work, and cooking fatigue. Instead, get chef-crafted, dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. With over 35 meals to choose from per week, including options like keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and more, plus over 55 weekly add-ons, you'll have a ton of nutritious and flavorful options. Factor now offers additional options like breakfast, smoothies, juices, snacks, and more to keep you going no matter what's on the schedule. When things get hectic, Factor is flexible. Change your order up every week or pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. So if you want to try Factor and make your life easier, here's what you need to do. Head to factormeals.com slash soundops50 and use code soundops50 to get 50% off. That's code soundops50 at factormeals.com slash soundops50 to get 50% off. And we are back. This week, we're bidding farewell to Mary Gaffney, a top-notch audio engineer we had the pleasure of working with for a decade and a half uh, at WBEZ. Now we're going to revisit some of the episodes we recorded with her. We think these are classics, well worth hearing again. And we're starting off with an excerpt of one of our first shows, episode 19, back in 2006, with singer-songwriter Jenny Lewis. Uh, Jenny had just left uh, Rilo Kylie, where people thought they had her pegged. Power pop, all right? Now she is going out as a solo singer-songwriter. Solo, except for the Watson twins were backing her. We both were huge fans, Jenny. Uh, Greg and I reviewed it on the show a couple of weeks ago, your solo debut, Rabbit Fur Coat. And I guess we wanted to start by just asking about the differences in striking out on your own as a solo artist with this record and uh, being a member leader of Rilo Kylie and uh, the timing. You know, why now? Well, I think um, some of the differences are probably obvious. When you're in a band situation, it's more of a collaborative process. And writing the songs initially, I tend to kind of do that on my own, but then I bring them to the band, and everything is uh, up for discussion. But with this, I think just the songs, it was more of a private process, and uh, the recording process was a lot more laid back, and there wasn't a a whole lot of debate over what exactly would happen. We just kind of let it uh, flow. But with this record, I started writing the songs while we were finishing up more adventurous And I kind of realized that it would be a long time before I would be able to record them. And I didn't want to forget them. So I went in the studio. So what about the timing of this record, Jenny? Uh, Rilo Kiley's last album, More Adventurous, had quite a bit of success. Sold about 100,000 copies. You headlined uh, at the Coachella Festival last summer. 
you know, nice gradual build to that record. Your career appeared to be peaking. Uh, your record company must have been thrilled that you decided your next move was a, a solo record <laughs> as opposed to another Rilo Kiley record. Um, you know, I think uh, hopefully everyone understands that this is kind of a part of what we've always done in Rilo Kiley. Uh, Jason plays drums with Bright Eyes. Blake just put out his second elected record. So I think this allows us to keep the band going and, and we always feel rejuvenated when we come back. So I, I think everyone understands that it's in the band's best interest to be able to go off and explore these other uh, musical options, I guess. Cool. Still, you're a generous collaborator. You give co-billing on the record to the Watson twins, and Chandra and Lee are here. What was that collaboration like in the studio? I mean, were they in the... Were you hearing their harmonies as you were writing the songs? Um, well, initially, we got together for the first time. I was asked to participate in a, a hootenanny. It was actually... Jonathan's uh, show and a bunch of our friends who are songwriters were getting together and we were to play three songs each and I was a little afraid to play by myself and I remembered singing with the girls with Rilo Kylie years before so we got together and figured out I think it was three three songs and it went so well and it was so easy that they just became more and more a part of the record. But it was a real collaborative process coming up with the ideas. And I had some specifics, some keywords. I think just in writing songs, I, I tend to want to cram a lot of ideas and words in there. And it allowed me to kind of take a break and to have them continue the lyrical thought. So I had some initial ideas and then we worked together and... Uh, it just it was it was easy. So Jonathan's one of your guitarists who's here with he you. He is Jonathan Rice. Okay, and you have a pedal steel player. Lap, uh, lap steel. Lap steel. Lap steel. That's right. Farmer Dave over there. No pedal involved in <laughs> Farmer Dave's lap steel. Why don't you guys play us a tune and we'll chat a little more? Sure. This is Swell Diggs, huh? I, our boss is here, so we have to mention this is the Jim and K Maybe Studios. We, we were having so much fun abusing this place. Usually, it's like classical jazz musicians. You know, right. who are the Maybes? I don't know. We're going to have to find this out. I don't know, but uh, they, they paid for the, the joint, so it's all right. <laughs> They're cool by us, man. Yeah. What are you changing? Who do you think you're changing? You can't change things. We're all stuck in our ways. It's like trying to clean the ocean. What do you think you can drain it? Well, it was poison and dry long before you came. But you can wake up younger under the knife. And you can wake up sounder if you get analyzed. And I better wake up there but for the grace of God go. hard to believe your prophets when they're asking you to change things but with their suspect lives we look the other way are you really that pure sir thought I saw you in Vegas it was not pretty but she was but she And she will wake up with a baby 
front door I can't escape that way The windows are in flames And what's that on your ankle? You say they're not coming for you But house arrest is really just the same Like when you wake up behind the bar Trying to That was a Mary Gaffney-engineered recording session with Jenny Lewis and the Watson Twins. I remember that session very vividly because Lewis, a little bit of anxiety. She was going out on her own, and there was like the harmonies with the Watson Twins were key to that. And I remember Mary was, this is like right in her wheelhouse. Oh, yeah. I come from this stuff, this harmony singing, you know, the folk scene in Chicago, et cetera. So this was a, she loved that gig, I remember. And Jenny was really right at home. I remember her being very complimentary after it finished about how easy it was to do, how much fun it was. Well, and I think that a female artist in particular related to Mary, not that she was warm. She was all business in the (laughs) recording. I mean, she was very warm to us, but she was all business in the recording studio. That was her domain. But I think she set people at ease just by virtue of her professionalism. Um, You know, next up, we're going to revisit our 2006 session with film composer and producer John Bryan. Uh, Some of his work includes the scores to Magnolia and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. He is a fascinating producer. Uh, So here is a super producer who is working with Mary Gaffney at Public Radio in the middle of the day, and it just sounded great. It was a live event. We had uh, people in the studio, if you recall, uh, Greg, which always was an added hurdle we would throw Mary's way. Yeah, that just adds another wild card to the scenario. And, you know, I always see a grand piano. We have a beautiful grand piano. We had one at, yeah. at, at the BZ Studios, which were which were a joy to work with. And John Bryan, again, feeling right at home in, a, in an unfamiliar setting. But yeah. Mary made it as easy as possible for him to sound great. You talk about a lost art, songwriting, the, the whole Hollywood or just a movie soundtrack in itself has become sort of a, a, a lost art. How do you do that? How do you do that well? As opposed to like, okay, know. let's call up uh, the latest hot band to write a, a, a kickoff song for the new Godzilla blockbuster, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, it's more the fault of the filmmakers and the movie companies than the film composers. There are a ton of talented people on the West Coast who can do anything that's asked of them. And for the most part, what's being asked of them is to be typical. And most of their paychecks 
depend on homogeny. And, you know, that's not their fault specifically. I've just been lucky in that I've worked with people who are mavericks and mavens and stand up for themselves. I mean, Paul Thomas Anderson is a guy who basically won't allow any movie people onto the set or any recording session. And I didn't even realize this was special because I started with Paul. And it's only in the intervening years where I realized there are always producers around. There's always somebody visiting from the movie company. They always have to have an opinion. <laughs> but the film guys have it tough. It's a very, very thankless job. And I think the only reason I've gotten to do some things that have maybe stood out a little bit is because I've aligned myself with people who are trying to do that in every choice they make. Mm-hmm. You know, Charlie Kaufman and Michelle Gondry and Paul Thomas Anderson and David O. Russell. I mean, these are not people who are going around trying to make movies like everybody else. It's, yeah. In fact, they wake up in the morning going, how am I going to do something different? I've been lucky. All I've generally heard in my career is somebody doesn't go, hey, how can you make that sound more like our things? If anything, they're going to be as quick as me to point out, like, yeah, that just sounds like other movies. <laughs> Which is beautiful. That's the kind of comment I want. I want somebody to call me if I'm, you know, being lazy. I want to get mm. called on it. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's the obvious thing to do for the scene, and it's great, and you did it right, you know, in quotation marks. Mm-hmm. Um, but come on I mean we've got the opportunity to do something here That's and great. when somebody says that to you it's like you're, you're an idiot not to rise to the occasion You've got many avenues of expression, John, and uh, the question is, you've written a number of songs since the last record came out. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen you perform a number of them over the years. Great great stuff. And I guess yeah, the question to me is, is, is there a part of you that needs to get that stuff out, or are you satisfied with the other stuff that you're doing artistically? See, I don't, I don't feel... Okay, because I've never felt part of uh, what I call the, there's like the rock myth and the sort of punk myth stuff. I'm, I'm not interested in it. If I didn't have everything else, I would probably have a little more burning drive, but I don't. I don't have personal ambition in that way of, I must get my records out. People must pay attention to them. People must say they're good. I must be doing that, and I better do it soon because, you know, it's too late already, isn't it? By the standard clock, I've already completely done it. I've done a very poor job with my career. Um And it's confusing for some people to understand. But, uh, you know, there's a problem I've run into. People who know me as a producer first will actually sit down, like very kindly trying to talk to me so I can stop being so self-destructive. Like, (laughs) you've got to, you know, why don't you just concentrate on that? I mean, the movie stuff, and it's cute, (laughs) you want to be a songwriter, but just do that. You know, you could be... You know, you could really make something of yourself, <laughs> honestly. And I'm talking people I really respect. Yeah. If people knew me as a songwriter first, okay, why are you so psychologically, willfully self-destructive as to not put out records all the time? You're one of my favorite songwriters. Why don't you do that mm. more? Why are you wasting your time working for other people? That's It's really worrisome, and I think you really need to look into it, and you should stop doing these other things. <laughs> the people who do movies don't even notice 
that, that I'm a song like not even yeah. the, it's not on their radar. <laughs> the fact that I produce records doesn't matter. People who are doing movies are completely tunnel vision, not only about movies in general, but only their movie. <laughs> right. Nothing right, right. else exists. Yet I believe she's lying. I trust her undermine my faith in her time. I have every confidence that she'll dismantle mine. And for me, it's all fun and it's all wonderful. And if I'm lucky enough to not be hit by a bus, by the time my life's done, I'll probably have made as many records as a solo artist as most people make in their career. Because other people only make them as long as record companies are paying for them, promoting them, as long as audiences are showing up. Right. Only during the period for some people where there's a certain sort of vanity mm-hmm. in it, like... Well, you know, I look too old to be in a rock band now, so I can't really do that as much now. You know, the rock fans, that doesn't matter. In a week, I can work on a movie, play on somebody else's record, write a song with somebody, play a gig of my own, spend a day putzing around in a studio, maybe recording some of my own songs, maybe just making sound, and take two days off and see friends. But the fact is, I intend to do stuff until they put me in the ground. Now here's one last performance from John Bryan, the theme music from the film Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, live on Sound Opinions back in 2006.
that was a little bit of John Bryan and uh, another Mary Gaffney session in front of an audience at the uh, BEZ studios. When we come back, uh, more of some of Mary's great work, including conversations with the Mekons and Bob Mould on Sound Opinions. If I run uphill, I'm out of Sound Opinions is supported by Goose Island. Since 1988, Goose Island's been brewing beers in the spirit of Chicago. You can find IPAs, lemonade, shandy, and limited releases in-store or at one of Goose's venues in Chicago. Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago's beer. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. And we're back. This week, we're paying tribute to Mary Gaffney, our late friend and former colleague. Next, we're going to revisit a session Mary worked with us on in 2016, a conversation with one of my favorite bands, the Mekons. Got signed to a major label. They, they gave you a little, like a two-week promotional push, I believe, which may have been the only marketing campaign ever devoted to a, a Mekons record. And it was a really great record. I mean, I think a lot of people really loved that record if they'd heard it. Uh, and it's probably still your bestseller to this day, I would imagine. Uh, I, I think it sold something like 30,000 copies at the time or something Which we like that. thought was insanely, yeah. insanely lavish, and they thought it was ridiculously small. So, mm. yeah. so, Not a meeting of minds. Basically, the guy who signed us left almost immediately, uh, and he had a kind of idea that he was going to bring independence into the kind of major label marketplace and give us small budgets and control, and just so we, we didn't have the kind of disasters we had of like independent distribution collapsing all the time and right so he was really good we liked him and then he left and went somewhere else because they wouldn't let him do what he wanted to do but we were signed there and then a bunch of accountants from la came and like poked us with sticks and realized we were useless so we, we <laughs> asked if we could leave and then they said, we no, had a big fight and they said the next album we did was substandard Right, right. Which was the curse of the Mekons, so they never put it out. But fortunately, we hadn't signed for the world. We'd only signed for America. So that album was never really released in America. Yeah, the curse of the Mekons could only be gotten as an import immediately after your major label debut and finale, (laughs) all all in one. Uh, So the reason I'm asking this about the major label experience, you've been indie, independent almost all along. And, you know, Jim and I have referred to uh, in various incarnations, the last punk band standing, things like this. Uh, and, and people said, they're not a punk band. They don't sound like punks. And I go, well, they're more punk than any band you could name. But you did form in that era. And I think there was a spirit that informed the bands more, more so than a sound. I want to ask you guys what that era meant to you in terms of your ideals and ethics when it came to making music and making art, you know, in in terms of the way it informed the way you operate as a band? I I think there was definitely a kind of zero effect going on with with that time before punk happened. You know, I was obviously into music, but I never really saw it being something that I could actually do. It was only like really big bands did that. And then suddenly the, the whole ground was raised you know, with with what was happening with with punk and the Sex Pistols and and all of that, it suddenly kind of happened. You know, and I think it was really really important because uh, it suddenly it just gave permission for anybody and everybody to do whatever they wanted to do, and it was not the whole stylization of what punk might 
be supposed to look like or sound like it was obviously something that happened over time. But I think of the bands we used to play with, like the Russell Club in Manchester, Tony Wilson was doing these nights, factory, early factory nights, and we'd be there with, you know, the Slits were there one night when we were from the Gang of Four, but then we'd be the Human League mm-hmm. from Sheffield, Cabaret Voltaire, there was this mad electronic scene there, then it was these other bands from Scotland, like the Scars and the, the Fire Engines, and yeah, it just, it was a very, you know, it was, it was, there wasn't a sound, it was just an idea. There, was a, there, were, there wasn't any rules, and if you look at the punk scene now, I don't know, maybe you know better than me, but it seems very formulaic, and you've got to do this, you've got to wear the jacket. But actually, in those days, it was very, very broad and open, and a lot of different things going on. Well, sell, sell us some Mekon's music. What are you going to play? Let's do, we'll do the last dance from the Fear and Whiskey record. But actually, we'll do the version from the, what's it called? The um, English Dancing the Master. The English Dancing Master. The dance floor's nearly empty now Everyone's gone home We're fragmented and broken up Like love affairs and as if seeing you for the first time Something whispered Looking at you in desperation Knowing nothing ever happens I wanted to say fall in love I wanted to say fall in love Little frozen rivers all covered with snow All fragmented and broken up Oh well I guess it's time to go at you in desperation knowing nothing ever happens I wanted to say fall in love I wanted to say fall in love with me I wanted to say fall in love it'll be alright you were waltzing Thank you. 
The Last Dance by the Mekons, live on Sound Opinions, John Langford, Tom Greenhall, Lou Edmonds. Uh, it's such a treat for us to have you guys here in the studio. So the, the, the lineup of the Mekons has been very fluid for, uh, you know, decades. I've heard the band described as not so much a band, but a collective. What was your conception of what the, 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 the Mekons were going to be? Was it a band in your mind? Was it something that was going to, uh, you know, in, incorporate these many incarnations of art and multimedia no, as well as music? I mean... It was just meant to be the opening band for the Gang of Four on a couple of gigs in <laughs> it, was, it was just meant to be um, very much, very sort of democratic in the sense that there was no, no sort of uh, qualifications required for anything to do, to do it. So you didn't have to know how to play an instrument, for example, mm-hmm. to be able to be on stage playing an instrument. So, you know, it was very, uh, very sort of um, free in that way. So there was absolutely no concept of anything going for any further. And was was there a point where you thought uh, this is... I, I, I know there was a period there in the early 80s where it was sort of like a little nip and tuck about whether or not this was ever going to continue. And I, I just wondered how many periods there were like that in the band where you felt like, well, the Mekons really don't exist for me anymore. Or was, was there always a feeling that there would be new work coming? Uh, I think we were quite bloody-minded at that point because we were sort of told, the industry had kind of told us we couldn't do it anymore. And it was, you know... And we didn't deserve to exist. So, mm-hmm. that, <laughs> so things like the Mekon story and then the English Dancing Master mm-hmm. were kind of created they, almost entirely in the wilderness with no yeah, thought that anyone would ever hear The underground them. records with, you know, where the band was just maybe three or, or four people. But and, a social group in, really. And the social so, network of yeah. about... 25 other people and that was it that was literally it there was no the world was that small but I was going to say initially um, I think what started it all off was the fact that after literally our first and a half gig uh, we were approached to make a, a single and that was like very strange and that was could only really have happened at, at that point in time um, in, in you know when it was all really kicking off and that whole thing from just doing this thing because we were free to do it to then suddenly putting a record out and then suddenly the record being, you know, Tony Parsons' NME single of the week and John Peel playing it on yeah, the radio. John Peel played it, it all that suddenly went, you know, like... Changed mm-hmm. things. Immediately we had, we had to sort of deal with all of that and so it was a very steep sort of learning curve and but because we came from a certain... Uh, place and time and ideas of what 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 we were doing. I think it's we've had to retain that to be able to function. And every time we've kind of lost that slightly, that's when it's gone wrong. You know, all the major label kind of mm-hmm. stuff. You know. So the only thing that could kill the Mekons would be success. <laughs> possibly, possibly. <laughs> we were really, well, the Chicago. Depends what you mean by success, because I think we we are very successful. Yeah, yes, anyway. in that you create in your own you know? terms and enjoy the process. <laughs> no, I meant like making a like, money. You know, stinking rotten money. I, I would. Yeah. I'd like to try. <laughs> I'd like to sort of see if we can resist. You've you know? got an open mind. Yeah, you'd be willing to give it a shot. <laughs> 
The Mekons on Sound Opinions in 2016, we've had them on several times. Uh, that was a memorable session because we're in the big recording studio with uh, Mary Gaffney. They've got uh, like a dozen instruments, Greg, and, you know, <laughs> nothing, nothing's throwing Mary. Not, not a problem. Anything yeah. there, you know. The only thing that threw Mary is if you dared to put anything on that grand piano. <laughs> I said earlier, the recording console, you know, once in a while, I, I'm just like, we're, we're, we're juggling so much. We're talking to the yeah. audience. Sometimes there's also guests. You know, you don't, not even my notebook. My notebook was not going to do any damage to the grand. Don't put anything on the grand piano. Yeah. Well, it was definitely the most expensive piece of equipment in that studio, right? For sure. Uh, but uh, a beauty. And the Mekons, of course, can play. They, they played on street corners. They played yeah. in, you know, uh, beer halls. Uh, this was kind of high end for them, you know. And, uh, you know, one of the great recording engineers in Chicago yeah. was yeah. working with them. So it was an easy session for her. Let's go to another session from the same year, Greg, 2016, a chat and a live performance with Bob Mould and two of his band members, John Worcester and Jason Narducci. Um, this was also loud. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, Mary, you know, if you were gratuitously making noise, Mary would be angry at you. But when it's, a, when it's musicians that she is trying to capture accurately, she did not care about any of the public radio reporters completely complaining about the noise, you know, coming from the studio. No, I am doing this. This is important. Right. You know, get out of my face. I yeah, love it. she was completely unfazed by that. It was more of like a, a, an interesting challenge rather than yeah. a chore. Yeah. She always wanted to, to dig in and see how I can do the best possible job. You've said that you needed solitude and to get your head together and uh, recover from some trials in your life. Mm -hmm. The last album was a lot about the loss of your father. There were other problems this time. But the word I've seen you use again and again when talking about that dark place is, these songs are my salvation. The, the guitar gets me out of it. You know, I, I find it so inspiring that, I mean, Thanks. you know, you're all of like five or six years older than me, right? But at this stately age, elder statesman of rock, you still need this. This, this gets you out of a hole. Yeah, yeah, music is music saves all of our lives, I would like to hope and think and, and pray that it does. You know, it's, uh, you know, when I was a small child, it was the thing that, you know, sort of covered up all the chaos around me. It was to sort of just fold myself into these 45s and, and sit and memorize label copy and melodies and figure out what all of it meant. It was all very mysterious as a child, and then I get older and, and you get big albums and you read words and you see images and then all of a sudden you hear the Ramones and you go, wow, anybody can do this. Yeah. Just that simplicity and that unity that they presented, you know, sort of showed showed me, said, you know, get off of that other stuff you're listening to. Yeah. Get a voice. Like but, you know, that. above and beyond that, that Lou Reed song, Rock and Roll, Jenny said she was just five years old and her life was saved by rock and roll. You still you still believe that a life yeah. can be saved by this music? Uh, yeah, if not for if not for these songs, I don't think I would have had a very good six months at the beginning of 2015. Hmm. When things are really dark and thing you know questioning yourself a lot about your life and about what you've done and loss, sickness, you know changes. You know to be able to get up in the morning and go down a couple flights of stairs and tuck myself into this little room and and make music and. You know, on the good days, I'm there for 12 hours before I realize I've done anything. Mm. Seems like five uh, minutes, yeah. Yeah, it seems like five minutes. And at the end, you hope it's just three minutes that you can share with people. And, mm. you know, some days you go down there and 16 bars of nonsense and it's time to go take a walk. But, you know, <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah, I think music is, it's an incredibly powerful force in all of our lives. You know, any of us 
who take it seriously and, and live and die for it. That's what it's all about. Well, it also seems like the contrast is such a big part of your, your vocabulary as a, a songwriter. I just remember first time listening to something like Zen Arcade, and it was cathartic listening to the music, and then you dug deeper and you go, wow, this guy's going through some stuff in these songs. Yeah. And it's been that way for a while. These records are, when you listen to the new record, on the surface, Patch the Sky is a very uplifting uh, majestic kind of record but you dig deeper into those lyrics and there's some this narrator of these songs is is a troubled dude yeah <laughs> <laughs> so that seems to be like who wrote these anyway that's a kind of that's kind of I a uh, want to be in the same room yeah. as that guy stop laughing bob but it, it seems like that's necessary i'm in a dark mood but i don't want to write dark music with it yeah, I think that's, for many, many years, that's what I unknowingly did. And then when it was presented to me, you know, much like the threes, you know, when it was presented to me that I, oh, you write these such dark words, but these so bright melodies, you know, and then I was like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then, you know, a number of years go by and you sort of run from that. And and then when, you know, you double back and, you know, you come to the realization that that's how I appear best is when I do that. So that contrast on this record has turned up very high, and uh, I like that. I mean, I, I get hooks in my head. You know, all of us get those, I think, that love music. We get those little earworms, and, you know, I know that's not a favorite word, but, you know, just those melodies that you can't shake, and I get them in my head all the time, and, you know, to be able to share those and, and have that as a nice, soft landing for these harsh realities that I think as we all get older, we sort of have to deal with. Right. We've talked in the past about this whole idea of, like, you go back to your 45s when you're hit a wall or you know just for inspiration purposes and it's interesting that that three minute pop single i mean the rolling stones were writing pop singles in the 60s whatever great band that you can think of they all came out in the 45 rpm format with with a song yeah so it's just like i try to impart to people you know when i talk about having a vinyl collection and people are always but you have to move it every time you move i'm like exactly yeah exactly that's when you realize the meaning of it you know people don't throw records away so much do they i mean people throw digital files away all the time i will never part with my husker do eight miles high single (laughs) no the warm-up song for zen arcade yeah it's always my favorite when people how did you do that i was like well we were it was our, our sound check (laughs) yeah. <laughs> Give us everything you got on that vocal. Let's get those levels right. So play us a song that good, Bob. All right, one one more. One, one. All right. The years of our lives, the time we invest yeah. in, wasted away in a post-war dream. Came home at night. 
fragments of time Who shadows and memories They can't be saved Or what's them holding out to say Bob Mould, uh, recorded by Mary Gaffney, which wraps up our tribute to our friend, longtime recording engineer, Mary. Uh, we're going to miss you, Mary. Thank you for everything you did. Greg, what do we have on the show next week? You remember we had a show about songs about mourning, right? That was, that was good times. People have been giving us all sorts of other suggestions yeah, online. very well received. So now we got to give the other part of the day uh, its due. We're going to do some songs about night. Okay, all right. <laughs> that makes sense. So, uh, And don't forget to check out our bonus podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this program belong solely to Sound Opinions and not necessarily to Columbia College Chicago or our sponsors. Thanks, as always, to our Patreon supporters. Sound Opinions is produced by Andrew Gill, Alex Claiborne, and our associate producer, Sol Delgadillo. Our Columbia College intern is Max Hatlam, and our social media consultant is Katie Kai. Oh,